0: The COVID vaccine was found in a year and that's like four times faster than like even the fastest expectations. And so that is definitely because people were kind of called to action to share data. And if we could have something similar in cancer or any other disease, I think we would see the same type of like innovations there.
1: Welcome to the 100CEO Project Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the 100 CEO Project where we are interviewing 100 business leaders about their experiences during 2020. Today, I have Ann Kim at the microphone with me. She's the co-founder and CEO of Secure AI Labs, a company whose technology helps hospitals to control, manage and trace patient data through the research lifecycle, allowing them to maintain patient data privacy while contributing to healthcare innovation, which is important for things like clinical trials. The foundations of her company began during her graduate work at MIT, and she speaks on their technology internationally. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thanks.
0: Uh, glad to be here.
1: So I wanted to start off with the topic of fundraising. So despite a lot of disruption, deals still happened in 2020, and you were successful with raising money last year. So what elements were pivotal to the success of Secure AI Labs, and what can you share with us about the journey?
0: Yeah, sure. So. Um... I think one really key part about uh, success in fundraising, and something that I did a little bit during the process, but I wish I had done more of, was certainly planning and worst case scenario uh, preparation. You know, I wasn't preparing for a pandemic, but I was prepared for like long due diligence. Um, and certainly that sort of buffer that I provided for myself was very, very helpful. Uh, there. And then uh, that was like in terms of uh, timing and planning. But I would say that uh, planning with your like investor list, building those relationships early, even if you're not fundraising is definitely like helpful, especially for my next round, which is going to be in a year.
1: (laughs) So when you say when you say planning and then putting together investor lists, I know last time we caught up, um, you were talking about mentors, for example. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us how those things were sort of pivotal to your success in a bit more detail for people who are maybe running into the same things.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh the idea of a mentor is something that's espoused by many different like business podcasts or like books where they'll be like, you know, find a champion, find a mentor. Um I feel like as a entrepreneur and as like a founder, it's really hard to find like obviously a champion with your organization because you you are the CEO, right? You're the founder. Um, But what I would say more broadly is that uh, the, I guess, suggestion of having one mentor is kind of a myth in my experience and in my like peers experience. And I think what I would recommend is that you have many different mentors, mentors that sort of fit different facets of your life, whether that's, you know, mentors for work-life balance, which might be a peer, you know, or um, advisors who have raised, money before might be like mentors in fundraising but not not necessarily mentors in your business whether it's like digital health or uh, machine learning so just by sort of um, distributing that kind of responsibility across your network is really helpful and you know is a little more work I will admit than having like one mentor but I think it is like totally worth it in terms of ability to sort of uh, build those types of relationships and also kind of uh, crowdsource that information that you need uh, for fundraising.
1: Do you formalize those relationships with your mentors or is it, do you come to them and say, well, will you be my mentor or is it a little, I heard recently that it's just don't ask them um, and to to just seek the advice and then also maintain a relationship. How do you approach that?
0: Yes. I laugh because I asked someone once who is a, a founder that I really respect. I was like, Hey, this is like a great conversation. You know, I I'd love for you to be my mentor. And she was like, ah, uh, and then pause because it wasn't clear what that meant. Cause it's like a really heavy word. And I was like, I just mean that, like, can I talk to you occasionally about, you know, difficulties and challenges about finding companies? She's like, yeah, but, uh, that's totally fine. Just, you don't have to call me a mentor. We don't have to make this anything formal. I also asked like, uh, a female um, VC wants to be my mentor, and she was like, Yeah, you don't have to ask formally. Like, I'm just here as a resource if you think that I'll be useful in some way. And so, people uh, from my experience don't really like that formalization because I think it carries a like heavy kind of expectation of like weekly check ins or like, you know, mutual OKRs or something. But it's actually just like, Okay, I'm going to ask you about. Um, investment strategies or like comparing term sheets or something because you're a VC and you're female. And I, I talk to you about that sort of stuff.
1: And do you do anything to nurture those relationships? I also heard that mentors get a lot of benefit from when you come back and say, hey, this worked or this didn't, but if
0: they give you advice and you, they never hear from you again, that that's kind of
1: browned upon. So do you have any tips for that?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think it's really hard to keep in mind sort of, um, I guess, like medium-term kind of follow-up. And I would just recommend immediate follow-up. Like after the conversation, pretty much like in the five minutes that you have before your next call, just try to shoot them an email. Like, hey, it was great to talk to you about these three things. I'll try these like two things. Um, And even if you like forget to follow up, the next time you reach out to them, at least you have like an email that sort of gives you a summary of what you talked about last. And then you can be like, hey, It was great to talk to you like last spring about like term sheets. I'm actually planning another fundraise, would love to get your thoughts on this because this advice was like really helpful last time.
1: Great tips, thanks for those tips. So I wanna go to um, something that I was reading about your co-founder, Lori actually sent this question um, to me. Um, It said that a major milestone within your company was actually getting into the MIT Delta V program to spin your company out of the labs of MIT into a commercial entity. And then from there, you all have been in the process of fundraising and acquiring your first early customers who really see the value in what you're building. So you all have been wearing some very distinct and full-time full-on hats. So not only developing your technology, but taking it from research and academic, that setting to the commercial sector. So what did you do to secure those early customers and how do you translate the benefits and stakes um, to to attract them? Like what sort of things uh, in your message were critical?
0: Yeah, sure. So I I think honesty is pretty important for like building trust. Um, And then um, I think, yeah, trust is a major part about those like initial kind of pilots because they're taking a huge gamble on you. And I think if you don't have those types of relationships, whether they were um, established prior in like research kind of collaborations or through some amount of like communication and honesty, I think it's really hard to form those uh, early pilot uh, deals.
1: How do you cultivate that? I mean, everyone sort of, when they're in sales mode, they, they always have good things to say. So how do you build that trust?
0: Well, I, I would say it definitely takes a lot of time, especially in healthcare. Um, and in that time, it's just about you know keeping them in the loop of like progress that you're ma- making, whether, that, whether that's on like product development or even just things that you're learning about. Uh, for example, we're in the like cybersecurity slash machine learning space. And so anytime we have anything relevant to share, whether it's like a new innovation and in like cybersecurity that we're integrating into our platform or like new findings in machine learning that you know, we see other universities applying and that could be helpful for this like academic medical center, then that's also really helpful and keeps the conversation uh, warm.
1: And then, so in terms of fundraising, what ha- what challenges have you run into and what things or fundraising or customer acquisition, what's been sort of your hardest thing to deal with?
0: Yeah, with fundraising, I mean, COVID was a huge obstacle. But beyond that, I think as like a company that's pre-revenue, it was definitely like vision setting and being able to sort of keep that um, kind of in line with every single conversation and also to myself as like a founder. um, It's important that like, you know, I have a bunch of conversations like for every Yes, I would say, I would estimate I got like 50 no's or something, somewhere between like 20 and 50 no's is pretty typical. And so um, you have to just like make sure that you know that this is inherently valuable to yourself. Um, And that's certainly something that like continues to motivate me because uh, for example, in our company we do security for like bioinformatics essentially like encrypted machine learning. And I know personally that I would never have done this if this technology already existed. Because if this technology already existed, I would have pursued a PhD in bioinformatics. However, without this type of technology, a lot of the innovation in that space is extremely stymied. And I think the reason why people don't necessarily recognize that it's stymied is because people are sort of used to data access taking you know six to 18 months because you have to have like legal and compliance and IT involved in like coordinate logistics and make sure everything is audited. However, I think that with this type of technology, we can drastically accelerate uh, those uh, time cycles.
1: Amazing, I'm not in that world at all, but um, it sounds really exciting and interesting. It sounds like you're doing some groundbreaking stuff. Um, so I one another quote that we have from you was you're, you're missionally driven and nerds who like working with hard problems. So beyond the technology you create, what's the most difficult non-techie problem that you faced in your business? Um, I think
0: it's like the soft people problems, like management of a small team during COVID where we're all remote and trying to make sure that people are engaged. Um, I think oftentimes in the technology space, you often attract uh, personalities who are a little more reserved, especially in like cybersecurity um, than machine learning. And so what we have found uh, is that like to manage that we... um, do company socials during our stand-up. So, you know, our stand-up used to be pretty normal where it would just be people reporting what they did and what the blockers are and what they've uh, planned to do. However, I saw that there was an opportunity uh, to integrate some amount of like social aspect because you don't have to check in on what people are doing every single day. It's something that you could probably do like three times a week and you wouldn't miss anything the two days that you don't. And so uh, just today we tried doing like yoga as a team. Uh, The previous week we played Among Us and the week before that we played Starcraft. And so it's like uh, those types of, I think creative solutions internally for like management of like team morale is helpful. On a more serious note, Um, I think also like clear communication of what business development is doing and what discoveries and progress we're making for our engineering team has also been really helpful as like a weekly kickoff.
1: So does that fit in with some certain core values that you've made for your company that drive your decisions around, well, they could be also around your scientific problem solving, but do you feel like you have core values set that kind of drive these decisions, whether it's to be to nurture your people in a social setting or around the data? I know you said that access to healthcare is one of your important personal values. So can you
0: talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, um, I think I would have said last week that we have like 12 values and those values are, you know, uh, being able to communicate and honestly, as well as like, uh, being able to commit to different tasks and being able to communicate like, uh, expected timelines for that. However, recently I've read essentialism and I feel like we had too many values, which is to say we didn't have enough values. So I'm actually in the process of rethinking about how we sort of articulate and communicate those values in a succinct way um, and pick just a couple that we can do really well.
1: I love that. And as a brand- impact brand messaging person. I also agree with that, that less is more. It's sort of that idea that if you stand for too many things, you don't stand for anything. So I love that. Do you have any other tips from that book uh, that you would like to share that jumped out at you
0: from essential? Man, that, that was like a really good book. I think another thing that sort of stood out to me was like the recommendation that um, to sort of test if you can do something or before you even say yes, spend like, 30 to 60 seconds doing a minimal viable kind of version of that. And so, uh, for example, this podcast, you know, if I had read Essentialist before, an exercise that I think I would have done was like, create sort of an example interview and like what I wanted as like a goal of like giving this interview. Um, and that's what I did like just this morning for this interview in order to bear based on like some of the notes you sent me of like uh, what we want to talk about today. But for my own personal sort of goals of like, you know, I want to be able to make sure that in this podcast, I'm able to, uh, you know, give any sort of answers for any founders out there that Feel really lost when it comes to like fundraising, as well as, you know, uh, some amount of humanity and honesty and like the processes that go on in like founding a company and like leading a team uh, and fundraising.
1: Well, those are great topics. So do you have advice for a loss? Did you ever feel lost in the middle of the process? Because I know I certainly have felt very lost <laughs> before. And it's, for me, it's always been about just picking yourself up and pressing on and never never giving up. But <laughs> some people go to really, I don't want to say dark places, but some people do go to dark places where they just give up. Or, so do you have any advice there? Or did you ever hit a, a snack? Yeah,
0: I mean, to sort of reiterate um, what I talked about before was that like, you know, for every yes, you're going to get like, 20 to 50 knows whether it's like fundraising or in like uh, customer sales, right? And so it's important for you to understand why you're doing this and why it's important because the alternative for me is that, you know, I close up shop and I like do a PhD in this space because then the technology exists, right? Like this is. A re, like this is a big challenge not only in like healthcare, but also is like a major blocker in my own personal career of like what I want to do in the space of bioinformatics. And so keeping that sort of clearly in front of me is a really nice North Star to say like, okay, you don't need to get like down on yourself if this like entrepreneurship thing doesn't work because somebody else like hopefully a competitor like makes the solution or maybe like there's just some sort of like improved standard operating procedure that makes it such that like getting access to data and like being compliant uh, with like regulation research protocols just works right because otherwise we wouldn't exist. Um, And so that's really uh, like a good kind of guiding principle for me at least, uh, at least like uh, missionally. But I think in terms of like values, uh, I'm still in the process of like really whittling down what like very few things are important, like, you know, a handful of things. It, that's part of, I
1: think the challenge and that's great advice. And just to know that you, the 20 to 50 rejections, you know, I even found that in the process of finding suppliers or, you know, there's just it's, people are not always going to say yes, and it's not personal and going on. So super advice. I love that. Um, going back to COVID real quick. Um, um, a soundbite from the 2019 interview with the MIT Startup Exchange, the world needs our technology to overcome the standoff that exists between those that have data and those that want to use it. So how did the rush to create a vaccine for COVID-19 help people either be aware of the standoff or close that gap?
0: Yeah, really good question. And like a lot of our investors and advisors have asked us, like why we haven't done a COVID use case. And the answer is uh, pretty, I think, hopeful in a way because uh, what we see with COVID is that there is an immense effort towards solving the problems there. And so there's an incredible amount of enthusiasm around data sharing. So if people got this excited about curing cancer, I think we would also find cures accelerated, right? Like the COVID vaccine was found in a year and that's like four times faster than like even the fastest expectations. And so that is definitely because people were kind of called to action to share data. And if we could have something similar in cancer or any other disease, I think we would see the same type of like innovations there. They it's
1: interesting because they, there is a ton of money. I feel like cancer research has a ton of money poured into it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of money was deployed very quickly to startups working on COVID solutions. I've heard uh, f- philanthropic uh, people who are managing foundations talk about that recently. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, why, I guess because this is a global phenomenon,
0: why do you think cancer and things like that haven't been solved? I think this is really acute. Right, like literally stopping me from growing grocery shopping is something that I acutely feel and that everyone acutely feels, whereas like cancer touches many lives. But I think the, um, I guess, the fact that like you don't have to face it every single moment of your day, even if you have a family member who has cancer, is something that doesn't ne- nearly call you to action with the same amount of urgency as COVID.
1: Mm, interesting. So we're gonna, I'm going to stop here and ask if there's anything else that you would like to share that we haven't maybe touched on um, that you wanted to come on and talk about today. Otherwise, I'll jump to our final question. We always have one sort of fun question that we do with everybody that's uniquely personalized to them. So um, let me know if there's something that you want to
0: share. Yeah, I mean, one other goal that I had for being on this podcast was also to you know, really take a moment to pause and say, like, this is an awesome project started by like women. And I'm so excited to be here. And I hope that um, me being here is just another data point to be like, if you're a woman or any sort of other like marginalized minority, like you can certainly found your own company or be even an entrepreneur and resident within your own organization whether you're like a founder c-level or you know a junior engineer or something I think leadership is something that you can cultivate at all parts of your career and you should not be afraid of and it's something that can only benefit you um as well as like your organization itself uh yeah it's it's very empowering to be a leader thanks for saying that I I'm
1: I feel like I'm at the, on the one hand, all these statistics that are coming out about female founders and how daunting it is. And everyone has a story about someone had today actually on the group where I met you about, oh, there was a man in a bar and he said, he, you know, he was a friend and they were, and he was drunk. And he said to her that uh, I he was an investor. I would never get, I would never take a meeting with a woman. I just don't believe in women. And everyone has those stories. I mean, there are definitely men out there like that, but I also don't always want to hear those stories because it's just one person. And I think I've interviewed personally, a ton of female VCs and angels who are supporting women, men there. I just don't, I don't always like to hear those stories cause they do, they make me step back and say, oh, what am I doing? And as opposed to charging on because I see so many great examples like yourself of people doing really of women, female minority founders doing really cutting edge things and succeeding and being positive and being a leader, as you said. So thank you for saying that. So we have one more question. We always do a fun question. I really enjoyed your 2018 DEF CON talk about how genetic information can be determined from something as simple as a photograph. And I remember when 23andMe came out, because you talked about um, genetic testing, personalized genetic testing, I was pretty, pretty hesitant to submit my DNA. And so I'm curious, it's been a few years since that talk. So how is your thinking about these privacy concerns at the personal level evolved? And what do you think people should be careful about now?
0: Yeah, good question, and uh, I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff that are being uh, pushed, like certain initiatives in Congress, like uh, 230, as well as initiative like um, GINA, which is supposed to protect your like genomic data. Obviously, it's like very imperfect and can be like um, loopholed in a lot of different ways. One example that I gave in that DEF CON talk was that life insurance is not necessarily under the purview of like GINA, which I think it should be. Um, But I think I see like a a lot of awakening, I guess, within uh, Congress to these types of issues and like privacy and security. We saw that with like the past year of, you know, um, tech CEOs being interviewed by uh, Congress, right? Like Amazon, Twitter, nope. maybe not Twitter, it was like Amazon, Facebook, um, and then I think a couple of other people, Microsoft and Google were in those uh, interviews. And so what I see is that this is definitely gaining traction and it's not just like Ron Wyden sort of leading the charge, but it's like many different congressmen and women who are sort of saying that like enough is enough and we need to have regulations in place to sort of put guardrails on what type of uh, intrusive things that like tech companies are able to do. So I'm like really hopeful about uh, the future of like privacy and security on like the regulation side. At the same time, I think it behooves everyone on a personal level to just be like cognizant of you know, what you can do as an individual in order to like protect yourself and to take away power from these like types of companies. So one encouraging thing that I saw this week was that a ton of my friends downloaded Signal in order to move away from WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook and which will be sharing data across the different platforms. Uh, And so that's like really encouraging that, you know, even my siblings who aren't super, savvy about this stuff are being pushed towards signal because their friends are you know insisting that like we shouldn't be on whatsapp we should go to like signal which is actually end-to-end encrypted
1: Mm, i hadn't heard of signal i'm i'm always like for example i never put my son's photo on facebook a lot of i have a lot of friends that they just share every little i just aside from the scary stranger issue it's just also that just I don't want to give him an identity online Mm -hmm. before he chooses that right he's six who knows what's going to happen um by that time but I just thought your um your talk was so interesting too about just selfies and how much you know information you can get from someone's face and I do feel like sometimes that we're moving into this 1984 territory where Um, there's just a lot of access to data and you just don't know how people are using it and there's cancel culture and all this stuff and something that you could say could be completely misconstrued, screwed and you just don't know where the data lives so very interesting thoughts. Yeah
0: for sure but um, obviously as uh, you know individuals who have like public personas I think there's like a fine balance right that like this is not certainly something that is conducive to my personal privacy to like be on a podcast where audio is being recorded and like this could be something that's taken for like a deep fake or something. But I think you have to be brave about the way that you're intentionally sort of putting yourself out there and like what kind of messages you're trying to sort of uh, platform.
1: Absolutely, deep fake. So we could talk about that too because I learned about that last year and I thought, oh my goodness, it's is so very interesting. It was in a McKinsey paper about things that marketers needed to watch out for. And Kim, this has been so interesting. Your, some of this stuff is way above my head and science wise, but I'm fascinated nonetheless. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. And can you tell everyone where they can find you and
0: um, how, if there's any help that anyone in the audience can provide what you're looking for? Yeah, sure. So uh, my company is, uh, Secure AI Labs and our website is secureailabs.com. Uh, my website is and.kim because the top level domain kim now exists, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, you can also like find me on Twitter. Uh, and if you're in the digital health space and you're interested in also accelerating innovation in healthcare, please let me know because uh, we work with like hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, even like consulting companies that are in this space. Uh, Yep. Awesome, thanks so much, Anne. All right, thank you. Have a great
1: day. Hey guys, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends and colleagues who also have to navigate this leadership stuff. As you can see, this project is about to be a mini masterclass in every episode best part, it's free. So if you like it, please do us a favor and take a screenshot, share it on social with the hashtag 100CEO. That's 100CEO. That way we can say thanks and share it in our stories. And finally, if you've got some insights you'd like to share and you're a CEO, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at 100CEOProject.com or on LinkedIn at the 100 Project. Until next time, keep leading by example.